You are listening to Flipping the Narrative. Come and flip with us. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Flipping the Narrative. I'm so excited and I'm still on a high from last uh, episode. We had Maria Ressa with us and discussing anything from women to the truths that we now need to tell, what, ha- what has been for her the next chapter um, after winning her prize and coming back and shake, shake, shake everything around her, right? Um, Wait, we're she won't tell you. I think she did. She had something, I don't know, somewhere in like Norway or whatever. I don't know. She said. <laughs> so, um, We're taking her word for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. I, I just heard her moaning and moaning and moaning. That was all she did in the episode. So, uh, so excited. How have you been? No, child, listen. It's been, it's been two There's weeks. There's a war raging. I'm like, I mean, you know, it's like you, you get a freaking pandemic, which I know we caused anyway, but like to come out of something so major and so horrific and so beyond our control into something that was so freaking unavoidable is, yeah, it's a little heart wrenching. Um, plus yeah, personally, it's just been a, it's, I'm tired, man. I'm beat, but I'm psyched to be here. <laughs> This gives yeah, me energy. It, can you tell? It actually makes so much sense what we're going to talk about today. It's just yes, it's ma'am. History, not learning the lessons of history, sure. and you know, letting it happen again and again. And yeah, so yeah. and the Gurans who were there, being so freaking tired, pero pocha, okay, game, another round, let's go. <laughs> well, it is. It is our responsibility nowadays, right? I think we're taking the next. The next, um, what would you call it? We're passing the flag. We're passing the baton. The baton. Uh, to a whole new, to a whole new, you know, maybe even a couple of generations. It's an exciting episode for us today, and I, I'll take that to introduce um, our two guests. Uh, first, we have a friend as well who I met many, many years ago when I started on my little restaurant, and Marga Ortigas used to drop by, and we would have a couple of glasses of uh, prosecco here and there, and Chatted a little bit with other friends. I'm being nice, but Marka is uh, is an incredible journalist. She's she's uh, been at the job for three de- decades. Um, traveled around the world, obviously all of the five or seven continents, depending on how you look at them. She started off here in the Philippines and joined CNN in London. She worked in Europe, did uh, a bit of covering in the Iraq War. Then came back to Manila, did Asia Pacific, worked for Al Jazeera. What else did we do? Um, I gotta be, I'm including myself here. <laughs> she did a lot of extensive coverage of, of, of the Muslim rebellion. Yes. Right? You did that. And and, and incredibly, you know, all of her work. Well, what, history in the making, for sure. And, and that got you. That also got you a couple of um, little recognitions, right? She's a, how do you say this? Okay. It's a. Achieving scholar, achieving, yes. achieving, right? Achieving like, scholarship, yes. Good, yeah. good evening to you then. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so she did a, a master's in, in literature in the University of Greenwich and, you know, speaks three languages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As always, an incredible guest to, to help us through this. Welcome, Marga. Hello. Thank you for mm-hmm. having me. It's like I'm in a... One of those contests on TV. Thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here. <laughs> no, I look forward to the conversation. 
<laughs> and um, with us as well is Nick Dainchausti. Nick is basically, he spends a good part of his time in the nonprofit world, staunch believer of the importance of history in our daily national lives and encouraging new approaches to understanding our collective past. You can expand a little bit more on that, Nick. I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm happy to when we get there. Yeah. Thank you awesome. for having me. This is going to be a... So another another like bunch of... Fun. Another bunch of underachievers with us today. Fantastic. <laughs> not, like, not like I need anything more to make me feel small, but yeah, welcome. <laughs> I'm so psyched you guys are here. Yay! We can talk about fucking... I'm sorry. We can talk There's about Edza. A- <laughs> yeah, we're, it's about a... It's, it's a we're a, a month, a little... A month late for Edza, but it's never inappropriate at a time where, again, revolutions are coming up everywhere. And I think that is basically testing our national identity again, mm-hmm. our national memories, um, our values, and what we are willing to fight for, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, EDSA is as important today as it you know, was 36 years ago. And I think the biggest challenge, and we've spoken in, in the past couple of episodes, is you know, the truth, you know, the fact that people don't actually believe it happened or how it happened yep. or the reasons for it. And in having to, to prove that or basically try to convince people nowadays, those two younger generations that, that happened in our own country seems absolutely mind-boggling to me. You know, that's actually, I'm jumping in, but that, that's actually what, what has surprised me is that barely 30 years on and people don't think it happened the way that we who were there or were alive at the time saw it play out. It's, it's stunning yeah. to me how you can present something that might have been recorded and say, look at this. And now, because you can manipulate images and you can manipulate sound, people would just say, ah, that's propaganda. Or where did you yeah. get that? What's the source and- of that? And there was a thing on social media the other day. I don't know if I sent it to you, Nick, but it was... It was, a, it was a little clip that was, I guess, made on TikTok or something, but it was like, if the EDSA revolution were to happen today, I didn't see it, but I, yeah, send it to me, yeah. It involved but, like how people might have spread the word on Twitter and then how from there it might have been put on YouTube live and how things might have played out differently had social media been a media. part of the experience. But I don't know, it just, it raised a lot of questions for me. Also, that would be the nature of yeah. The nature of well, actually, it's it's more like the nature of cultural memory, right? Is what you're actually talking about, like social and cultural memory. Like, how are those memories formed? And if you get right down to it, Edsa didn't become for a variety of reasons, which I'm sure we're going to jump into. It didn't become like a a foundational aspect of society. Maybe it did for ten years. Maybe did for five years. Maybe did for six years. Whatever it was. But even then, within that period after '86, you can already see that there was a clear like kind of effort to denigrate 86 from a lot of different sides of Philippine society. It wasn't just like, you know, the pro-Marcos, um, no kind of holdovers. It was like a lot of different ideological groups were kind of jumping in there. And that was only snowballed. So, you know, I was just thinking about like, you look at Russia. Let's look at Russia. I mean, let, let, let's just take a look at what Russia's doing with the Ukraine right now, right? And what has driven a lot of, a lot of um, kind of what Russia's doing now, it's that angst. I guess you could say that existential angst that came from what happened um, in, in the Cold War, right? Like it became that, 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 yeah, exactly. They lost an empire and that loss became central to everything that, they, that they're doing now on a, you know, very negative level. But it did. Same thing, you know, with Japan. They got forced open by the United States. 
what happened? They turned themselves into an empire because that was like, that became a foundational part of their national story for, for, for bad for the whole world, right? In our case, did the idea of EDSA become a foundational part of our national identity? And it's a good question because it goes back to even how we look at stuff post, you know, post Philippine revolution. Like all of us are going to go like, ah, the Philippine revolution, that, that shit that we lost and got our asses kicked in. And you're like, okay, wait, fine. So then the, the, the start of our national story is we suck. You know, do, do you kind of see? So, so then it kind of, it kind of snowballs into everything about us is God damn it. We suck. We lose this. We lose that. We lose this. You know, our national story isn't very positive. But, but, you know, going a little, touching a little, and this is so redundant at this point, because I know you guys know, I know we talk about this a lot, but, and Margaret sort of touched on this, no, you introduce social media and it's a whole different level. What I keep saying, I know Maria Ress has also spoken about this and we've seen this everywhere. What social media has managed to do is make facts debatable in a way that I think is really freaking new. Don't get me wrong. Journalists made up shit before too, right? I mean, that happened. There were issues, but there was a certain level of trust in institutions when, when there was no social media, right? Because it was harder to get information. I'd have to go to a library. I'd have to have a proper source. But so my trusted sources are this newspaper, this journalist, et cetera, et cetera. Um, back in the day, going even further back, <laughs> you know, we have a history like African-American history, also a lot of African tribes, a lot of certainly Filipino tribes. Our histories were passed on with oral tradition, correct? And there was sort of this inherent trust on some level with the, quote, elders and our shared stories and our shared, if you want, myth-making as a culture. And that's freaking gone because everybody got a TikTok. You know what I mean? And everybody has some claim to authority and, whatever, and maybe some of that claiming is right because we're all the authors of our own reality to a certain extent. But I find that the erosion of trust or the erosion of authority while imperfect, is so is such an uphill battle to fight against. You know what I mean? I mean, especially nowadays when you've got heads of state themselves who are questioning it. You know, Dude. you have the president of the Philippines and you saw the last president of the United States and they're not the only ones who are Thank of but that. that. But that goes back to martial law. If we're going yeah. to dive into EDSA, we have to talk about martial law because that's the context, Yes, we right? do. And so the context of martial law ultimately is that is that Marcos and Imelda were able to reformat Philippine history to make themselves the fountainhead of Philippine nationalism, right? So again, it's this isn't a new thing. Mm -hmm. It's just that the speed in which it's it's I mean that's, that's a new thing and it's the speed in which it's disseminated that's actually kind of shocking. But then again, you look at it in in pre what was it? When were the fireside chats and not the fireside chats? What was that guy's name? That that priest in the U.S. who was a who was an who was a rabid racist and pro pro Nazi guy. Sorry, and, you want and, one uh, name? No, I'm trying to remember. No, I'm, no, this was sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry, this was this was pre World War II. What was his name? He oh, was a, he was a priest who whose 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 reach was so powerful because of radio mm -hmm. at the time. That he was literally able to capture a whole part of, of, of American society and convince them that the Nazis were right. Jesus. Wow. That's, that's really not, not much different than what's going on now. Guy. Was he a Jesuit? Not the Jesuit guy. I don't know. It wasn't Jesuit. I'm trying to remember his name, but he, he had a radio thing. And like his whole thing was like, I mean, okay, just to boil it down to some super simplification was like, hey, you know, Germany's not so bad. Everybody else is in the wrong. Mm. Again, that's really not different from now. It's just the speed 
in which it gets disseminated now is so different. I, I think, think what's to me what's what what was um, what's incredible looking back at Marcos's time is I guess the sheer quote unquote intelligence that he brought in in such a quick time. I mean, for me to 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 come up with with <laughs> such an evil plan. I mean, really, it's like, I mean, at the time where things were doing well for us, et cetera, we were doing well as a country, we were up there with, you know, Singapore and Japan. And then all of a sudden, what's the need within what, what was that? A couple of years of sorts, getting his feet wet, blah, 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 to all of a sudden decide that we need to become, you know, these superheroes and we need to save the country. And we, you know, and that narrative back there. I think really resonated with people because nobody had told stories of that caliber to begin with. So people started, I think, to believe in stories like that just because nobody had told the story that way. You know, I find it interesting. So Vicente Rafael posted on a, on a Facebook thing of his and, or, and he said, it's so interesting now you think about that. And this was on the, the Edsa Revolution anniversary. He said, it's so interesting when you think about how forgiving Filipinos have proven themselves to be when you think about all these revolutions i mean really in in high modernity right the 60s etc cetera, etc cetera, mm-hmm. it was fairly bloody <laughs> there were a lot mm-hmm. of or beheadings or imprisonments or whatever and we were literally like thanks bye and we didn't even make sure it was it was Honestly, this is fairly shocking. We didn't even make sure it was propagandized in our school books and in our, right, in our media and whatever. It kind of is just... It has to be. And I think, you know, I mean, the only way you actually ingrain memory is through propaganda. Hey, well, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a horrible way to put it, but it's literally mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, that's I what you're, you're creating. I mean, and again, I think this is where I, I may be different from some academics who are, not that I'm an academic, but some people in academia who still like to try and and that, that the writing of history isn't anything other than telling a story and a narrative and making it work. But it's also about getting people to buy into the myth. National histories are myth-making. You know, then we yeah. can get into all the other types of histories that you can get into, the niche histories, the, you know, kind of those types of things, or counter-histories, or all, all those. But really, national history has to be myth-making because you're creating that well, story of the country. Myths, uh, nations mm-hmm. and that's, that's how a nation are. is formed. They fight yeah. after the yeah. same yeah. myth. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was going back here? to, oh no, sorry, going back to Louis, that was the, that was the power of Marcos. He was smart enough to know that if he made himself the myth, then people would mm-hmm. buy into it. Yeah. See, the problem is, yeah, oh, but go. with Edsa though, that was a chance to yeah. reset, right? And mm-hmm. they didn't, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure why textbooks weren't changed. And changed. You know, it, well, it, there was still a kind of polarization. And I think yeah. that there was an accommodation of the, you know, the, the, yeah. Marcos loyalist forces. I mean, the fact that the Marcoses were able to come come back into the but, country with very few repercussions, really, right? I mean, yep. they could come back and, here. They can't go to the states, right? I mean, the U.S. actually, you know, did something about it, but yeah. So good luck with that state visit. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> you know what I mean. It, and someone was telling me the other day, saying that he pulled out his kids from. A local school, which I won't name, because for EDSA, February 25, they, you know, they all came in, they had to commemorate EDSA in class and program, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the way, the way we love to do it, you know, is 
um, song and dance, play and all that stuff, which is great, which is great, right? Commemorated, recognized what we had, you know, what we fought for, recognized we had reestablished democracy and all that stuff. But they made, they mandated that the kids had to come in something yellow. So oh. that sort of thing turned him off because, mm. you know, they're not yellow. You know how we've, uh, if you're for this faction, you're yellow. If you're not, you know, mm. it's mm. crazy. It's so useless. Super babao. This is completely shallow and super babao. Okay. But here's the thing that gets my freaking goat to the freaking end. I'm cynical enough. I'm smart enough. I'm cool enough. But I did buy into. Again, our shared mythology about, oh, I don't know, Sauron must die. Darth Vader would be defeated. Like all of these sort of at least proposed values of, you know, the good will will win in the end and all of this stuff. And then get to a point where it's like, were the Nazis so bad, though? Like, was Marshall like so bad? It just... Drives me nuts. But isn't that the point? What is our national value? What's mm. our what's the Philippine what's the Philippine social? I mean, uh, let's say ethical and moral sense. Exactly, I mean, and that keeps one. getting eroded and eroded and eroded to yep. an unrecognizable point Visible. already. That, uh, yeah, and right. I think part of that part of that is post post EDSA, and I think we've never reckoned with it is the sheer number of academics, even in UP, who supported Marcos, mm. who were in favor of what he was doing. Who thought that his new society bullshit was gonna was gonna fix the Philippines the same way that a lot of them uh, signed up for Duterte, and a lot of them are gonna sign up for whoever's coming in, whoever's yeah, yeah. whoever's gonna offer the strongman thing. So our histories weren't written because a lot of them didn't really want to write the history of. No, Marshall that's Law. also true. Yeah. That's why they couldn't get a consensus with you know whatever the uh, the board you know yeah. the part of the Department of Education that you know, oversees the textbooks and all that. They couldn't get a consensus. And, but not only that, there's so many inaccuracies in our textbooks in anyway. Like it's the yeah. whole of history, even, even pre-colonial and all that. It's just insane. We're still freaking teaching goddamn Teodoro Agoncillo. Yeah. The dude's been dead for like how many freaking decades and we're on like the 13th revision of his book and we're still teaching it. If you ever go, okay, so this is a fun little thing to do. You go through and you look at American era histories written by American historians, and then you read Agoncillo. Mm-hmm. They're exactly the fucking same thing. The same sort of racist undertones, the same sort mm-hmm. of like, the same sort of like perception of Filipinos as, I mean, mm-hmm. what was that? Which his, his, his book on history of the Philippines opens with a whole section on how terrible Filipinos are. It's like, and, yeah, isn't, yeah. Isn't, isn't this exactly the problem, right? Like we're, we're then, we're not, we're not inculcating kids to think they're good. Our okay. history book starts with, oh, Filipinos are lazy. They don't like, they, okay. because they're in the side. Da, 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 da. Like, Wait, wow, though, seriously? because I think, yeah. I think touching on something really core to be, what it is to be Filipino, and I've actually had similar discussions with some Irish academics about core to some Irish identities is this feeling of being a mm-hmm. second class citizen because they were for so long, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a certain self-deprecation there, et cetera. But there is a real sort of honoring and pride in their cultural history and all this stuff. And obviously their wars, et cetera. Um, but what I find interesting is for a country that is, talk about the master propagandist, right? The myth-making giant of the world, the US of A. Everything is really built on equality and how progressive we are and all that. And there's been no reckoning about slavery whatsoever. And now we're getting the same revisionist crap for these histories. 
why are you going to be teaching about slavery? I mean, the whole country was kind of built on it. You know what I mean? So I find it really interesting how, yeah, on the one hand, it, it's us as Filipinos and how we think so low of ourselves. Our, our origin stories are so couched in this negative crap about how awful we are. But it also happens in countries that are so self-aggrandizing. <laughs> We're so great. We're so yeah. ganyan. Don't attack that, but don't blemish it whatsoever. Well, I, I think the difference, though, no, is sorry, because because what, what what I see here is unfortunately we were so split up in the beginning as different you know populations and peoples. We don't have a common story that binds us, right? So mm-hmm. you know, from Ilocos to Mindanao, there's two different stories with cultures that have nothing to do with each other, um, languages that don't have anything to do with each other, and so. I think that, you know, going back to, to Marcos and, and what he was trying to do somehow, and for his own benefit, though, was to try to create a single Filipino narrative that would allow him to do whatever he wanted after that. And I think he was quite successful in the beginning in doing so. But, you know, I think the other part of it is I don't think we know what culture is to us anymore because the smaller groups or indigenous groups that probably existed, some of them still have obviously that part of the culture, but some of them have evolved so much that they do stuff without understanding why they're doing it to begin with. Cultural issues, right? So there's nothing we can tell anymore that speaks a culture, a story of the Filipino people. And add well, to that I, the I, fact that we think that we don't deserve anything, then it, it's yeah. difficult to, to go anywhere. Like a universalism mm-hmm. in our multiplicity, if that makes sense, right? Yep. I mean, other nations yeah, I, yeah. have attempted it and to, you know, greater or lesser, it, it's a work in progress. You can't mm-hmm. just say this is our culture. Stop. It's fluid. Mm-hmm. It's always, always evolving. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we always need to step back and examine it and see what works, what doesn't work. and all. I mean, it, wh- wh- why should why should it be a static thing? It's never a static. Even static. our identity is yeah. constantly no. evolving, right? Yeah. But, you know, we have, to, we have to have a dialogue. We have to constantly mm-hmm. be in dialogue, you know, to, to, to determine who we are at one particular point in time and, you know, to right. find some yeah, kind I of unity in that. Yeah, for me, it's this idea that, that and it's prevalent in the United States, which is a, which is a flaw, I think, in, in how we look at it, is monoculture. Monoculture doesn't exist. I mean, and if you if you think that a monoculture is what's going to drive a country and is going to form a country, then you're in trouble because yeah. inherently those tensions are going to come to the fore. Uh, yeah. As I always like to tell, as I always like to tell Marga, um, you know, history is in, is is uh, is constantly in discussion with itself or an argument with itself. So it never ends. It never stops. That discussion never yeah. stops. Yeah. And and the idea that it that it will is basically where like you end up in the United States. There's a there's a yeah. dominant ethno you know, Absolutely. kind of group that just refuses to, to have a dialogue, like, like Bambina said. And that's mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, wait. You mentioned the U.S. And wait, let me just say that the okay. U.S., the myth of the U.S. is, is built on so-called American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. And like what you said, Nick, earlier, it's almost the myth of Filipino identity or culture is built on our kawawanes and our right. victimization, right? Which yeah. we also have to do something about. And so yeah. EDSA could be seen in one sense okay. as, you know, mm-hmm. lifting ourselves out of that victimization. 
So where exactly did we go wrong? Where I wanted to go. Right? Yeah. So yep. so okay. I, I mean, now I we're, we're we're in the same wave. We have such smart, accomplished people here with us, and I I feel like if we're going to go down the historical and narrative and whatever rabbit hole, we're going to be here for sixteen hours yeah. minimum. <laughs> What I wanted to do was maybe shift us a little bit. We can go back to this. But for those of us who were there and what it really felt like, right? Because yes, a lot of this is looking at EDSA and post-EDSA from a critical eye that implies a certain distance, a certain self-reflection, a certain contextualization of us in the world, right? But for like, for lack of a better word, maybe the simplicity, the 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 visceralness, the actual being there. What was it like? For those of us who were there, were you guys there? Margo must have been, I'm guessing, right? I was there on the on the last day. We I was uh, we were still young. I mean, I was in I think second year high school or something like that. But I was I was a minor technically. Yeah. I know my mm-hmm. father went. He was very involved in Namfrel. He was very involved in all of those kinds of movements. So yeah. when Edsa first happened, and you know Cardinal Sin came on the radio calling for people to go, he went with a group of friends, and I remember. We didn't see him for several days because they were just there and there were no cell phones. You know, there was none of that at the mm-hmm. time. So my mother was just glued to the radio and then to TV. But then, you know, obviously the same yeah, TV was taken down. There was nothing to watch. And then you started watching what you could abroad. Because I think well, those are the days already that we had, I think, the Far Eastern Network from the American air bases, right? So mm-hmm. we were getting media from them, remember? Everybody, your your Snickers. Exactly, um. exactly. <laughs> So it was, she was glued to the radio. I think it was mostly AM radio to try to find out what was happening there because we had no idea what was going on with my dad and his friends or what was happening. Yeah. At, they went to Campaginal and all that area around Edsa. And it was on the last day when I think word had slowly started to come out that the Marcoses had been buried away from Malacanang and that none of the soldiers who were sent to Edsa actually fired any weapons. But my father came back to where we lived picked us up and said, you all have to see this so that you are part of history. And it was only when he was, he felt like this is safe now, you can come. So he came home, he brought us all there to just, and I remember, I remember walking Ed, because we didn't know what to expect, you know, to see all those people there and the atmosphere at that point, uh, it hadn't been declared yet that Marcos had fallen. I think we were there when that happened, but the atmosphere was already very much a, we are in this together. It is a family fiesta. That's what it felt like. Because there were people obviously giving away food. There were people in one corner praying. There were people in another corner who were just singing. And it was like being in a fiesta. So for us, I was 15. I was very, very confused. Because I was like, wait, we just went from being very afraid to all this time Pop was in a fiesta? You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> what is happening here? And then, of course, the relevance of it came later on. But Having said that, growing up in the kind of household that I did, where my father was very involved in these social, uh, social and civic activities, we were all together as well when Ninoy Aquino was killed. We were all together watching TV when that happened, you know, because yeah. my parents made it the point that we would sit there and watch. We would sit there and learn. And it was discussed in the mm-hmm. table and we were told what was happening. So in that sense, yes, we grew up with it. But I also, what I realized then working in news years later, and covering the 25th anniversary of EDSA. That was very weird for me to be back there covering that, you know, and realizing that in a sense, the significance of it did not translate mm-hmm. to many of the mm-hmm. islands that I had then covered working for Al Jazeera. I went to Mindanao. They barely had 
any clue what was happening in EDSA. They didn't even know where EDSA was. You know, the way the national government functioned in many of the provinces in this country is irrelevant to whether they can eat that day or whether they can send their children to school. It doesn't even matter if they can send their children to school. They just want to know they can keep their children alive. Mm-hmm. So whatever happens in Manila is so far removed from their realities that we can have a circus here every day running the government and they really wouldn't care because it doesn't affect them in that sense. Yeah. And I think we that was the sad part, you know, it, it, exactly. <laughs> and it was a very yeah. small, it, millions came out for EDSA, yeah. but that wasn't majority of the country, unfortunately. Right. But people right. say, but I'm surprised. Why didn't that define the Filipino? Because it never did. Mm. It never really did, you know. Right. Yeah, but then, then don't like, you think that the messaging should have come after? Okay, yes. new government, all that. Then they should have done like, you know what Biden's doing now, doing a roadshow, trying to sell, you know, trying to sell the Build Back Better, whatever, whatever it is. That, you they know, should have. The, but at, unfortunately, at that passed. time, because it was such a polarized society, yeah, the only yeah, thing they true. seemed to have been concerned about at the time was getting rid of Marcoses and then trying to take back things from the Marcoses and then yeah, trying to tear yeah. down everything that the Marcoses did. So there was no concern with Let's get everybody onto our bandwagon. Mm. You know, that yeah. isn't that later on, and by then yeah. it was too late. Isn't that isn't that whole kind concept of naivete of, as well, isn't yeah. it? I say no, no, I say it's that whole idea of transitional justice, which which really didn't exist yeah. in eighty six as a concept, yeah. but now it does. And you know, in their own way, they were trying to engage in some sort of transitional justice mm. uh, mm-hmm. kind of exercise with PCGG and all that stuff, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't expansive enough. So by the time we get yeah. here, you know. 30 years, 20 something, 30 years later, and Aquino tries to put up a truth commission, it gets shot down because nobody understands yeah, yeah. that we've lost the idea that transition, that justice requires investigation and requires truth. Yeah, but not only that, it's, it's also a whole yeah. history of all these commissions that Agrava Commission. Well, Agrava, it's true. Yeah. Nothing happened, yeah. right? So it's there's true. kind of like distrust of, of these commissions. Absolutely. I think it's cultural also in the yeah. sense that. These are difficult things. And Filipinos, like you'd mentioned earlier, you know, forgiveness. I don't think it's so much forgiveness as the relationships. The, uh, it, in the a complexity of the idea. It's the, it's the unwillingness to look at things that are difficult. Agree. I was just going to say there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's such a core of non-confrontation in the country. It's so much easier to just let it go and look the other way than actually sit down, talk about it. Um, yep. digest it, chew on stuff. You know, I might not like this bitter piece, but then it's going to go down and it's going to be good for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is that inability. Yeah, and I do think we have models since then. So Rwanda, right? As horrific as that genocide was, I read a wonderful article about how they actually dealt with it. And no, there were no retaliations. I mean, of course, no country's perfect. I'm sure everyone's dealing with something now. Or even post-Nazi Germany, right? Yes. And how strict they were about, I don't care how young you are. Yes, we're going to teach about Nazism. And no, you can't make a yeah. swastika even for fun. You go to jail. Right? But what I wanted to sort of double down on earlier also is this. I feel, and we, were, we had an episode on the Marcoses. And I said, it, it shocks me how powerful my inis and my galit gets when people really debate, did it freaking exist? Was it that big a deal? Et cetera. Like, I, I get hot. And I've worked yeah. on my year old nasty gurang self i meditate i do my gratitude journal i don't get hot anymore for sake i'm very you know mm-hmm. very even. but you come to me the freaking marcoses and martial law and edsa and oh i mean i really get like this and part of it for me is i feel like 
we don't even have, I don't know if people know what it was really like, right? So Marga, you kind of touched on this. It wasn't like it was a one day overnight. We were like, Ay, ayoko na. I mean, yeah. this was many years of dealing with frustration and fear. I'm old enough to remember the fear of curfew. The yes. fear of yes. a friend. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely. So-and-so's mom or ganyan got taken away. Parang, maybe yeah, it's because yeah, yeah. I was young. This is a really traumatic thing for many Filipinos. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that we talk about that enough. Yeah. We talk about the people who were tortured, the people who were jailed. But even for ordinary, rather privileged Filipinos, that fear stayed in my bones. I remember doing a right. medical mission with my mom for um, to help, right? Namfrel and all this stuff. And seeing my first malnourished child in person, I, can, I could probably draw her. It was so disturbing to see... Yeah. A, see, I'm going to get choked up. And then the death of, of Aquino, the killing of Ninoy. To, I don't know how many Filipinos would say this, but to me, and I'm not saying, I can't make it equivalent, right? Because I wasn't there. But the, the, the grandness of it at the scale of like the shooting of JFK. You know what I mean? Oh, it was. Like, it was, definitely was like that. Yeah. It was big or MLK or well, for Malcolm X. We just don't talk about it, but absolute, right? And then EDSA for us, especially in such a class stratified country, I'm getting goosebumps. I know exactly where I was that night. We were in a, we were drinking in someone's house in Alabang. We heard the news. I know exactly where the car went. I know exactly when we went. I know who brought the baon. I know we went back home to get people from the house and da 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 da. And I and then I remember the jubilation, right? The incredible unity and da da da. da. So, parang for me, it was such a seminal moment, and for I think a lot of us, okay, not the entire Philippines, but I don't think any of that has been given its due, if you will. Yeah. No? Momentous it was. <sighs> See, I'm sweating. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I say I was obviously, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was four years old when that's happened. I don't remember it. Oh, all I, right. I, okay. I, Fine. I, but what I remember, I, 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 remember <laughs> I remember the coups. I remember the coups that came after it. And I remember right, how scary okay. those were. And I, I remember mm-hmm. because my house is, is back, back in Edsa. I remember that our house was shot up by bullets in the 89. I mean, and literally oh like we God. were in the pool, all that stuff when the, when the gunfire, when the shooting happened. Um, oh my when God. I was, yeah. So, I mean, we remember, I mean, I remember that my, you know, my family remembers that, but the us young ones, but what I was going to also bring up is, um, you know, we were talking about Mindanao and how a lot of it, what happened in martial law didn't reach down there, but it did. And we forget that there were, that, that Marcos started an entire war. An mm. eth- like, know, like sure. an ethnic war with yeah. a whole part of our country, yeah. and we forget that. So even mm-hmm. in the tally- so this is one of the things that I always that I, I get obsessed with is because even in our tallies, our tallies of what happened in martial law are so rooted just in Manila. But you look and you you actually add in the rest of what he did in Mindanao. That's what a hundred thousand yeah. people were killed. A mm. hundred thousand people were killed in Mindanao because the dude just wanted to colonize, just wanted to to, to to wipe out a religion. I mean, what's that? Not only that, that, and that. the sugar yeah. policies, right? In there, the sugar policies, all, yep. The, There's, the yeah. hunger, the famine that went on, the, the people that died of hunger. Exactly. It's really weird. It's really weird, because no, you're absolutely right with that in Mindanao, but they somehow, 
going back there now, Edsa, yeah, Edsa yeah, amnesia. Very mm-hmm. far removed from like what might have changed for them because it didn't really change anything because the war or the separatist movement was already there. Edsa didn't change right. that, you know? Yeah. So getting rid of his regime didn't change many things for the plantation workers or, you know, for the farm yeah. workers, if you will. Yeah. You know, so but their reality. Isn't that also? Yeah. So for them. Isn't that also? Like, okay, that's true. That's true. I was yeah, saying, but isn't yeah. it also a fact that we haven't connected it? I mean, like, we don't, mm-hmm. we, we don't make the connection that, that, that yeah. the that the people's movement, that the NPAs, whatever, it really got rooted in martial in, in martial law. All of it, all of it yeah, does. Yeah, a lot of the ills yeah. of the country. Yeah. And then what, yeah, what and we, why? We, all these we issues haven't been yeah. properly addressed, so they keep coming yeah. up, and yeah. and then you just pass on the blame to Edson, Aquino, oh, whatever you want to. You know. I want to say though, just to be clear, and this is actually something I've learned from Luis on this podcast because he refuses mm-hmm. to have it end on a sour note. And while okay. my ancient cynical ass is often like, but, 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 you know, it's so little, but in and, you know, I'm like, okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. You're right. Shine a freaking light, Laura. Okay. So okay. I guess what I'm saying is, yes, all of this nasty, all of this awesome, all of this awful has to be written, has to be maintained. We have to be blunt. We have to self-question. But at the same freaking time, and this is going kind of to your point, Nick, earlier about why is our origin story as a culture so kawawa? Right? Mm-hmm. We had a moment in fairly recent history with people who are still alive, right? And I'm not yet in my 80s. I'm sure I'm 50, I'm older, whatever, but I am here and a bunch of us are here. That, and Bambina meant, mentioned this, right? Couldn't that have been an opportunity yeah. to harness some joy and jubilance? People forget the amount of attention we got huh? as a country. But for the first mm-hmm. time, I- to the states and i'm like yeah people power yes that's us why you saw it did you wasn't it great the flowers in the barrels i know right we're so badass but we're so cute but then like i it was so incredible a moment for our country talaga so we have to do yeah. both no mm-hmm. I, I, for me there was there was a bit of a, a part that that there's a numbness that happened when people during martial law and pre-edsa we had incredible thinkers in this country we had yeah. people who were forward thinkers, people who really wanted to transform a lot um, and had great ideas about this. Um, people identified that early. And we had a brain drain that really took out an incredibly massive group of right. people. I'm not going to say academe, but people who were fighters, who were real nationalists, who really wanted yeah. to fight for that, what the identity of a Filipino was Filipino back then. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, they're wiped out pre-EDSA. EDSA mm-hmm. comes in, and you have a whole new generation of tepid people because they grew into post-EDSA as the country grew into better economics. And so most of the people today, you take up these 36 years plus plus people who were already born, um, evolved into a much better, better. economic state that mm-hmm. made it easier for them to deny or to not want to get unsettled with their real newfound coziness. We'll right. yeah. Can I just jump in on that really, really fast? That's okay. But you're here. You know, I think what I'm excited that you jumped in. It makes me happy. <laughs> Because Luis is right. But one of the things that one of my favorite ways to look at Philippine history in the 20th century, which nobody really touches on, is is the demographic um, disruption. 
1900, 1898, 1900, 1901, you had had the Philippine Revolution. You had the early American era. Then you had 1942 Mm -hmm. to 1945, where an entire generation of leaders was killed. Mm -hmm. And then those are the people who would have been in the 50s and the 60s would have fought Marcos, but they were dead because they'd already expended themselves in in World War II. Marcos is a result of World War II. And uh, people don't connect the two a lot of times, but he is a direct result. Also, because we just forgave everybody for being collaborators in World War II. And Marcos is one of the chief collaborators in World War II. So then you had, but even despite that, you had this incredible energy in the 50s and early 60s from people who grew up in World War II trying to reinvent Philippine, history, Philippine culture and Philippine history. That's when you had your Nick Joaquin. That's when you had Anding Rosses. That's when you had all those guys. Okay, fine. Frankie kind of went wherever he went by the end of the by the end of his life, but you know Frankie was part of Frankie was part of that that movement. You had Botong Francisco who were inventing the iconography of a new Philippine identity. Mm. What, what was and I and I we have to recapture that. If you look, if you go back and read, like go back and read culture and history. Go back and read a question of heroes. Go back and read all those things. Go back and read Fiesta by like by the energy in trying to reconstruct a Philippine identity that's positive. That draws on our on our like centuries long you know history of resilience and persistence. It, it was it was it, it's mind blowing if you really go look at Botong Francisco paintings again. Just go look at them, and you'll actually be amazed by them. You know, Nick, there's something that I don't know if people understand because I was also taken aback with some things. Right, the fact that you know barely twenty what years passed after the war, we're still yep. trying to figure out who we are. As a country, and here comes Marcos. We have a wipeout of everything because he needs to try to change history. Then he's gone. Then we have Edsa, and 36 years have passed since. You know, it's like the, the period of us being a nation post war. It's so small. It's so small. It was absolutely young democracy. Way to create yeah. a national narrative when we uh, when when we got so derailed 20 years yep. into being a nation. Yep, and we're we're still young. We were no, definitely, and yeah. we're a post-colonial society in search of itself. Yeah. And as Carlos John liked to say, we're like suffering right. major PTSD as a nation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and we're still dealing with that trauma. We're like a rape victim that's still trying to deal. That I mean, that was his analogy. I remember mm-hmm. trying to deal, and it, it's very hard to agree on a common narrative because of so basically those traumas. What we're seeing here between Marga and Nick is the, the beginning, folks, <laughs> of the next wave. Abangan. Mm. Abangan. <laughs> Abang- no, Mar- Marga's doing it. I'm, 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 I'm sitting in my room drinking, drinking wine and reading old history books. Marga's actually recreating a new, you know, kind of uh, interrogating our society in ways that I... That but are, you're dropping the truth bomb. And I'm saying, yeah. we need the journalistic <laughs> approach and we need people with the wine and we need all <laughs> no, the journalistic approach had to go into fiction because it was easier to do it that way. Yeah. Yes, right. I mean, you yeah. need yeah. a concerted effort all across the board. And I'm just saying, witnessing it now, the birth of Max. You guys need a name. You need a name for the movement. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or flipping the narrative. So, yeah. so yeah. once again, we have flip previous narratives and then what? So, What's this? The next wave? What's this? Mm-hmm. It has to be something. Kayo na, huh? I'll just watch. <laughs> I'll be an avid fan. You know what? I'll be the muscle. I'll be the freaking loud mouth, nasty ass older woman who really has no more fucks to give. But I'm caught in a game. I'll bring it. I'll bring it. That'll be me. You know, so, yeah. 
But you, you do realize, though, that depending on who wins the elections, I mean... Oh, no, it's completely changing. Oh, yeah. out, right? No, mm-hmm. I mean, funny. that's like a really scary prospect. So... Um, yeah. I I don't know. I would like to believe that whatever negative way, probably, um, we have two factions of society nowadays that are incredibly passionate, empowered, um, defending who they want to defend. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that was pointed out by Maria last episode was, in reality, coming from very opposite sides, both are looking for exactly the same thing, which is the advancement of this country in at the core. We might not like this candidate or the other one, but the people who are pledging their allegiance to either one, in the end, are really looking for the Philippines to move forward. And I don't want to forget that because I think that that is very important. And we need to sort of be conscious that we have not had that level of involvement or passion or nationalism either way in 36 years. And obviously, the beauty would be to have somebody grab both and then create that now new national narrative. The thing is, right, you might have your voters uh, more involved in wanting to get the country to a certain level. The problem is not all the candidates feel that way. You can't yeah, say, right, that all the candidates have the same interest, unfortunately. Sure. And it's quite, yeah, unfortunately. It's quite clear which candidates yeah. don't. Yeah. And are serving but there is, there is, there is one thing. There's one thing I'll say. Yeah, I'll say. There's one thing I'll say. One of the good things of, about time is that eventually people die. So I mean, honestly, just, just, just. I, this is no. I mean, seriously, people. The so dinosaurs. Exactly. No. no, I mean it's the it's, dinosaurs. That's the great about the march of time. Eventually, bad weeds, as long as they live, will die. And so it's what. So that transition. We are like globally. Think about it globally. We are in a demographic transition. There is a yeah. transition happening where this, the older generation, you know, the, 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 the kids, the people born pre-World War II who still want to hang on to power all they want, they're right. dying off. And, and, and political, when political entities like those die, the vacuum, that type of power doesn't transition very easily. So, you know, look at the people who are surrounding one of the candidates. They are all they, they are all ancient. They all need help getting up the stage. And frankly, the candidate needs more help getting up the stage than they do. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's like his, that guy's power is rooted in, in infrastructure that is about to die off. And right. unfortunately, it's not going quick enough. Yeah. Someone said it's like the, what is it? The death throes of the, what is it? it the is. death throes of the white male pig patriarchy something like i read that somewhere and i was yeah, like that's, and that's it's flailing it's this hyper defensive hyper aggressive flailing to hold on to power and in, in the world it's changing the, it's the patriarchy it's patriarchy rooted in toxic masculinity if you just want to Absolutely. say it like that right i mean Absolutely. of course patriarchy is toxic masculinity but yeah lady yeah. if you're gonna find an ally for like women's history month this is the kind of dude you want to be hanging out with <laughs> Not someone who tells you to like smile or make you more pretty or whatever. Or respect when I'm on Filipino because I don't let them yeah. pay. No, enough for that. Yeah. You want to hear that. You want to hear that. Mamaya, pakireplay and listen. Okay? That's what you want to hear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to let one of you guys step in. I think. But so, it's okay, true. So I'm yeah, but it's true, right? Here. It's true, right? Yeah. So, so, so then is, is, is EDSA relevant or not? Absolutely. Hmm. 
Uh, absolutely, no question. Absolutely. And if you want to ask, if you want, why so? If, why so? Why do you why think? So? Let, let's say if we're if we're saying okay, this affected a you know a group of people, Manila. It was told, you know, it was a story that was told by you know a relative few. Yeah. Uh, how does that? How would you see this, or how would you want this to impact you know future generations? I had the benefit of of being able to learn about Philippine history and culture from from Ed, from post Edsa guy. Right. I mean, like from Edsa, from Edsa guys, from people like Tito Anding, from even people like Nick Wauke, and I got to talk to them when I was growing up. I mean, they're the ones who kind of brainwashed me. And one mm. of the things they always talked about is that Philippine history is about a fight for democracy. It's about a fight for representation. It's about a fight for, for one person, one vote, one person, one, one bit of recognition, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that is the through line in our history. And it, I mean, you can, you can peg it from the 1700s, you can peg it from whatever you want. 1700s, you can go. You can go to the 1800s and, 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 and the religious revolutionary movements that happened there. You can go to Gomborza. You can go into 1896, 1898, 1901, 19, whatever it is. Our fight has always been for recognition of us and our, and our ability to speak. If you factor Etsa into that, it's just a continuation of that. It is the fight for us to have our voice. And if you frame it in those ways, I think it becomes powerful. Because what did Etsa give us? It gave us our voice. It gave us our voice back. So ultimately, isn't that the story about what's important about the Filipino? Is that we're always fighting for our voice? There you go. Yeah, yeah because say hey, birth of a movement. A yeah, what he said. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think the relevant comes from? You, Panaman, you're such a, you know, this incredible journalism for me. Clearly, I'm a fangirl of journalists. I don't know if that's been clear yet, but I'm just like, I do find them akin to our warriors, right? So I do believe in the strength of storytelling. I do believe that our culture can only exist through some level of storytelling. I do believe that some of that storytelling has to have a certain level of authority, has to have some, shoot, in my industry, we're regulated. There has to be some level of making sure we're accountable and all that. But I do look at journalists as as our keepers, right? Our our keepers Mm -hmm. of culture, of unity, because Nanaman, without you, how are we united? Like you're such a key part to our national story, identity, and warriors. We've seen that definitely in the Philippines with torture, standing up to dictators, and all that. So I'm curious, from your perspective, someone who's been all around, has seen so much injustice, so much bloodshed, has had to report on it from this incredible eye that is objective and whatever. What do you think the, rele- the relevance of EDSA is now? And, and what would you love for Filipinos to, to take from it? What Nick said. <laughs> what he said. I, you know, if I was doing this interview, I'd be like, that's it. That's my soundbite. I'm going to put that in the story and we're going to close right after that. That was it. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's like, it might seem like a small, faraway event now to the new generation of Filipino, to those who are decentralized from Manila, who feel like Manila is a whole world away. It's that. Uh, The fact that social media encourages everyone to be able to feel like they can speak. Mm. If EDSA hadn't happened, they might not be in that position to do that. So it's something as small as as that, is that everybody Mm. can now be, as you said, the author of their narrative without being afraid that they might be disappeared or that they might be killed or thrown into the ditch somewhere that what wouldn't have happened point. you know Jeez. and yeah. they can then say oh but you know i martial law wasn't really that bad which i've heard 
you know, it, it was a time when the country was more organized. Everything worked better. But again, these are people who weren't there, don't believe the narrative that they're told. And I think there's a part of us, the older generation who was there, that we have to also just accept that maybe they'll never get it. And just be grateful for the fact that the country has become what it is because Edson did happen, whether it's appreciated by the younger generation or not. And I think that's where our own acceptance has to come in. And then we just have to try to do better. You just have to try to do better. This is the same reason that the current administration is having the popularity that it's having, regardless of what the facts might be. It's still a president who's about to end his term on a very, still a very popular leader for whatever it's worth. I mean, I've tried to explain that to an international audience and it's very, very difficult because looking at it from outside, it's just like, it's insane. What is going on there? You know, but many Filipinos like the feeling of safety that a seeming strong man might give them. Yeah. Whatever the price of that might be. They can just get on. You know, the funny somebody's in charge. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's our associations of what's, what, how we give meaning to strength, which is quite yes. staggering as well. Because yeah. you look at what's happening today, you look at Putin, you look at Trump, you look at, at the current administration. If you're in a position of strength, you're not going to silence any other voices, right? You would think that. But then this is the thing. I have, I, there have been Filipino, Filipino chat groups I've seen even on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Who actually think Putin is in the right? Filipinos, yeah, huh? Like, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. like mind-boggling to me. But they think that's also that- a bit of that's also a bit of ideology. Like I, I think a couple of days ago yeah. there was that there was that 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 thing being that that screed being circulated by some one of those far leftist groups, and and it was just like, are you guys kidding me? You got you've gotten so looped into the ideology of 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 the West. And, and everything else you've actually forgotten that he's being a freaking imperialist, which is basically what we should be fighting against. Right? Even you exactly. guys. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I think you know, we're you know, supposed to be living in a post empire world, and this mm-hmm. guy wants right. to start another the one. Toxic masculinity, bams, going back to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's what it you know, is. And fear of change. And what we associate as strength is so archaic, right? I mean, if you really go into a lot of our tribal histories, what was strength was not this really rather insecure showing of you know no, barrel it was, something and whatever wait one thing i said to my son my son is 11 or it was my daughter the other night and and i don't know how it came up we were watching something it was like grow a pair right and it was like a pair of what mama and i was like i think they're talking about balls but really have you ever grazed a ball because the person is down for a good minute oh. and grow yeah. a pair of ovaries yeah, is going to be my new thing that's yeah. what i'm saying no because in, fact, in fact men like to call so-called weak, you know, who they perceive to be weak as pussies. But yeah. damn, the pussy is one of the strongest things. I'm just saying. Come at me with your little dangly bits and tell me. Say, a, a ball, balls can't take a pounding, but you know what else, what can. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, yes, we do, we do need some semantics. Corrections also. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, Ika, you asked the question. What's your answer? Is no, it no, 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 I just okay. So these are uh, these are things to 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 let people sort of uh, chew on stuff as well, right? So I think part of what's interesting of having 
people with, with such different approaches to, to, to this is great. It makes us think and stretch our minds, right? Um, I, I, I definitely agree with, with Nick. I think it's, it's an incredible, you know, EDSA is an incredible mark in, in Filipino history that, that tells everybody, yes, we can. And it's the first time where we took everything in our hands and made a very specific change. And I want to see that with more people because I think collectively, we talked also about the non-confrontation nature of the Filipinos. And telling the truth many times means you're the nail sticking out and you're going to get hammered. I think culturally, we're afraid of telling the truth. We are afraid of standing up. And we need somewhere to change that culture or whatever you want to call it. You know, the perception that standing up for yourself as a minority, as a family, as a group of people with the same interest, as a country, as your barangay, we need to start speaking up and telling truths so that we can actually advance. And that is only changed with generations. And that is my biggest worry for the Philippines, because I don't think we can change that overnight. People still think, I mean, generally in Asia, you know, that you need to be humble. And so if you want to make sure that you make a point across being strong, being loud, defending your positions and those of people around you and the people that you're you know, fighting for, that's not properly seen. It's not good. So we're going to need a whole new generation of kick-ass heroes who will really say, I am going to die because nobody else will. But it's also, and we then- have to also take it on ourselves instead of waiting. Like the children of the OFWs were supposed to be the great big hope because they were raised overseas and they had access to liberal thought and everything that they would come back to the Philippines and, and change things. But I mean, to a certain extent, I think that's happened or, you know, it's improved the economy, obviously, the consumerism and everything. But I think that as a, as a society, we privilege relationships, and the smooth running of relationships over principles. What's interesting for me is that we do have this incredible dichotomy and tension in, in, in the Filipino, like maybe with an interpersonal, we don't, we kind of avoid confrontation. But then when you look at it, we fought by empires. Yeah. You know, we, we fought the British, we fought the Spanish, we fought the Americans, we fought Ooh. the Japanese, yeah. and we fought Marcos. That's mm-hmm. five empires. I mean, literally, I, I, always, I always say that Marcos was, they, they could basically colonize the country. Uh, and, and that's how I always try. And, uh, when I look at it, how I frame it, because they did. You know, they, they kind of captured, um, you know, they basically captured the country to colonize. So we fought five empires. And so yeah. there's something within us that drives there's something us that. there yeah I yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah there is something there no and then there's there's also been a concerted effort by these empires and people who you know who have more who have something to gain by mm-hmm. um aligning themselves with with, with these um, these colonial powers or whatever to promote this narrative of filipinos as being lazy mm-hmm. cowardly you know all these things when you look at even the Philippine-American war went on beyond the uh, supposedly beyond. formal end of hostilities. Right. I mean, the Americans were like, you know, they, they couldn't handle the guerrilla warfare, right? Yep. And, you know, and don't forget the Japanese as well. I mean, of course, yeah. they were collaborators, but 
forget how people fought during the Japanese yeah. um, occupation. And how brutal it was. Grabe. It was. A million people yeah. were killed. A million oh, people were killed in World War II. That's insane. Yeah. For me, no, what's, what's also concerning is this idea. And, and I just saw it today and it was so funny to me when I saw it. Yung, ano, what is it they say in Tagalog? Yung parang, huwag mo nang pag-isipan yan kasi matagal na. Ano? What is it? Parang, let it go, basically, right? Um, and it's so interesting to me because this is a line that I see as well with like, you know, some white people with African-American culture. It's like, why can't you let it go? Why can't you let slavery go? And it's yeah, like, bitch, yeah. Ruby Bridges is alive. Like the little girl yeah, who integrated. Exactly. That's, she's not ancient either. She's, she's alive. Like, yeah. She's around and not, you know, crouched over. She's, she's actually pretty young still. Like this was not so long ago that you couldn't sit next to someone or drink from the same drinking fountain or whatever. Like, Edsa yeah. was not so freaking long ago, diba? Parang, dude, of course we... And I find that maybe that's part of the issue nga, na parang, yes, we want a smoothness in our relationship, but also we want joy. Parang, okay na yan. <laughs> diba? The fi- famous Filipino resilience. Pag may, ano, it was, it was ondoy. Pag may ondoy, sirena na lang tayo, right? I don't know, but to me, it's like, Yep. By looking at a horrific history, there are moments of joy there. There is joy in our uprising. Yep. There is joy in our unity. It's mm-hmm. not just bloodshed, tear and, tears, and rage. Edsa, for me, was the moment where, despite the severe class stratification of Manila, everybody was on the street. And everybody was looking out for everybody. You know what I mean? That was huge for a young, I must have been, what, 13, 14? I was 15, sorry. Diba? Parang, no, no, no. I gotta go back. I was in Paris at that time, right? So I missed the whole thing, but my family was very politically involved, right? And my, 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 and even when the rally started in, in Ugarita Field, they were all there. Um, I remember, I think my, my sister, Complained one time because my 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 mother had forgotten her birthday because she had been to a rally, so she was waiting the whole day for like little celebration. And my mom came back and said, and uh, she said, you know, it's my birthday. Where were you? Oh, I was at a rally, but I was at a rally fighting for freedom. <laughs> you know what I mean, but and, know, and, and, and yeah, and then you know, there's a high whatever. What I mean. Try to explain it to a sixteen-year-old kid, and you know. Wait, wait. Sorry, the phrase was "move on." Kana, I know. Move on, kana lang. Move yeah, on, kana lang. Move on, kana lang. You know, and I know, but I know what it's like. You know, my my <laughs> mother was a journalist, so I know what it was like to be targeted by the Marcos regime mm-hmm. during that time. Our phones were tapped. My mother was being followed. You know, I mean, anything could happen at that time. And again, like you mentioned earlier, curfew and all that. And the thing is, I think that there was also, even for her, I mean, you know, she passed away, but even for her, there was a kind of complacency after EDSA, thinking that it would mm-hmm. all fall into place. But democracy is an active thing that you have to keep fighting mm-hmm. for to maintain. And, and, you know, the checks and balances are important and everything. And then it became, you know, how Pinoy's also love to make everything personal. It became a whole thing that I kasi Aquino or something. So to the end, actually, she had 
veered away to the dark side. So, Mm -hmm. you know, which is like, for me, really frustrating and really, really disappointing as well. You know, and so I had this conversation with my siblings the other day and who do you think she would have voted for? And, you know, the answer was very dispiriting, but we'll not go there. What is the next step? What is the next thing? What do, we, what do we do? Do we try to save the Edsa legacy? Do we, what do we do? What would you like to see happen as a next step forward? Not the step, but a step forward, right? Well, I just want to see, for now, the closest thing is, I just want to see an election that won't be something that people can say was manipulated or look mm-hmm. very much like it was orchestrated. Although already we are seeing pieces being put in place that, would lead us to not take that, right? I honestly have no clue where this is going to go. But as, as Bambina said, it's a constant conversation. And I just hope that the country continues to have it as opposed to just laying back and saying, mahala na, right? Yeah. Let's just let it go. So for as long as you have elements that will continue to fight for what they believe is right or for the best, then hey, have at it. That's what a democracy is, right? Absolutely. And to continue the conversation, check out about that, folks. Marga has an amazing podcast that is so freaking That is a great podcast. And goes there. And you need if you want to be a smarter, invested Filipino, you gotta listen to that. Just make it happen. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Nick, who was on two episodes for that. I was gonna say and also look for those are great episodes. Yeah. Grabe, it's so also, good. You really sit there and you're like, Pucha, I feel so full. It's so malaman. It's really that's because of good. that's really because of Marga. Marga is an amazing interviewer. Like I, I, I listen back to to some of them and I'm just like, oh my god, I actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. How does she, she pull that off? I'm like, I like, I like. She cut down like 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 these amazing podcasts and from like me bra- ra- pretty much rambling for like three hours. But she was like, okay, I'm going to pull this one out now. And I'm like, oh my God, it actually made sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank goodness okay. you made sense, Nick. Now it's your turn. Uh, oh, God, uh-huh. yeah. The next step. I mean. A you know, next what, step. A, a next step. A next step. So if we're talking about, you know, I, I think Margaret hit it right off, right off, which is that the best next step for the country is a, an election that we know is going to be fair, we know is going to be clean, and we know that people are going to come out for. And, and for better or worse, whatever happens, if we know that everybody was, was part of that process, I think that helps us start moving forward. Because one of the issues in the Philippines is, is, is this sense of a lack of participation. Now, of course, the fear is that if people don't see their, their candidate win, they're going to think that it was, it was for naught. So I guess for me, then the step after that is to say that, no, that energy as Bambino was saying, that energy that brings us to the polls, that brings us to these rallies, has to be inculcated into our participation in democracy on a daily basis. And, and, and maybe that's too big of a step to make in the next few years, but I think that if, you, if, you're going, if you're looking at it from a political perspective, the step is get people to the polls, get them participating. And the step after that is to say, you keep that energy and you keep going. That's the step that's going to change the Philippines. It's, it's the understanding that the energy that we're feeling now is the energy we need to keep every single day, even in between elections. Yeah. Nice. Parang the energy of EDSA. That's a wonderful legacy. The energy of EDSA. The energy yeah? of EDSA. Keep it going. Yep. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, wonderful. I love that idea. Rekindle. Like reignite. Ay, I'm killing. 
<laughs> like, okay, sana yung rally. Game! Tara na! <laughs> I remember Blue people saying during, because I, I wasn't here, I wasn't I wasn't around for EBSA, right? I was in Paris, but I remember friends who had been, they were just saying, yeah, like like Marga said, it was like a party and all that. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, you know, makibaka, makibaka, you know? So you all form that, that human chain and then, oh, chancing, chancing! You know? <laughs> so, Pinoy's will never lose that joy. So, facing the truth or whatever you call it, how no matter how unpleasant it is, I think it's also innate in Filipinos to find joy and laughter in whatever situation they're in, the dire situations or the most ridiculous. So, I, you know, I, I'm not scared of that at all, but, but we do have to have some kind of reckoning. Otherwise, these things are going to keep happening again and again. And the fact that you can seduce an entire generation of young people with untruths is frightening. So, you know, can we not weaponize it for the other way around and push the, you know, the truth? Uh, I'll I'll take, I'll take on that, Bambina, because really my my small, I think, step forward is I, I wish people, we all know from any camp nowadays, there's a shitload of fake news around everywhere. Uh, you don't need to be in one camp or the other. We all know that there's fake news and we're being fed fake news. Period. My next step forward is, since we all know this, can we all become so much more active in making sure that we don't pass on information? We don't pass on, for fact, something that we have not actually questioned ourselves. Um, because unfortunately, I think another characteristic we have as, as a society is we, we, we have a lot of herd mentality and we take things for granted from anybody, period, because so-and-so said, you think it's, it's, it's true. And I think this is the time where we all have come into that sort of reckoning of saying, no, I have a chance to question this. Right, because I might be passing on something pretty dangerous forward, right? And in that, basically creating a much better space for everybody. So that, that's that's where I'd like to see um, us going. Okay, my quick one, and then we'll let you guys go because you've been so generous with your energy and knowledge and time and opinion. Oh, energy! But oh, energy! Oh, my! Ito naman, no? Spoiler! You gave us our title. You get yeah. so, the energy oh, of so is actually really corny. And I really think at the end of the day, I was when I was younger and really desperate for money, I I tempt, I did a lot of temp work as a secretary. I type 80 words a minute. Thank you, St. Scholastica's College. <laughs> and um I do think, honestly, I'm gonna keep coming back to this. I do think it's time for some freaking broadcasting standards when it comes to the news on social media. I'm not saying regulate yep. speech, free speech. I am saying I, if, yep, anyone I agree. To, if anyone's going to purport to spread news, come from some sort of verified, validated organization that has to pass a few hurdles to earn a badge as press. You know what I mean? I have to do it in cosmetics. Yep. We can't put arson, not like we want to, but we can't put like turtle exactly. poop or whatever in, in a cream. Yeah. We are regulated for public safety. Yeah. And I think crossed yes. over where social media really affects mm-hmm. public safety already. Enough now. Basta ja. Let's right. have some bloody standards and regulation. So yeah, on that note, folks, this energy, I am, I can't even tell you, I feel it. I feel kinetic. I have goosebumps. 
this I have never thought about a possible legacy of EDSA being the energy behind that as something we can tap into. And I just, I feel so grateful and so inspired. Y'all going to be all over my gratitude journal tonight. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So yep. thank you guys. Thank and you. I mean, thank do, you. Uh, Completely our pleasure. My pleasure. I need to make sure that everybody who's listening in um, on this episode, go grab a copy of Marga Ortigas' latest book Absolutely. called right? The House on Calle Sombra. It's a Thank parable. You. With a lot of stuff that we've discussed exactly. on this episode, it is riveting. It is poetically written. It just is an incredible page turner that you need to get for yourself. The House on it's, Calle Sombra. It's Thank the best fiction, Philippine fiction book of the last 30 years. Easy. Fantastic. I'm and we need to easy. know. Yeah. Guys, get, Can you put that on social media listening. so then people believe it? Okay. Fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Marga. Thank you, guys. Okay, thank you, guys. 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 I feel a lit, which is interesting because I really started, I started this session so beat, so beat. I, I told a friend of mine, I feel ancestrally tired. I feel tired in the bones of my ancestors. I don't know what I love so much, I think, from, from having people who are so damn smart, knowledgeable, and, and so insightful is we, you know, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly talaga. Then we talk about it, when we go there, but. I don't know. I, I get inspired. I get so kilite and, and no, ready for I the next I know it was Nick day. said, though, earlier about that there was a time there was a Filipino renaissance. I mean, in the arts mm. and everything. Yeah. Like Nick Wakian is like an amazing, amazing writer. It's just, yeah. you know, I reread him every now and then. And then I was reading about how he compared Bonifacio and Rizal. And, you know, it says a lot about how we mythologize our heroes. And how we also buy into other people's mytho mythologizing of our heroes and what it says about us as a people. I mean, just just really fascinating. I think, you know, at the end, I, I love the fact that, you know, there is strength in our diversity. It sounds really like super slapstick, but we have so many pockets of what Filipino means. You know, adobos are 80. You know, the way we cook rice at home. 20 other million ways and and we all produce something incredibly tasty and something incredibly beautiful and something that lasts super long and we're all connected back to this country i i love that the people who have come in to be our flippers basically understand that we're all trying to build something new to build something positive and to basically turn around that narrative that we need to get out of, that we don't deserve, that, you know, we are less than anybody else. And I think that that energy now and the generation of today is at that brink of being able to transform themselves and believe again in the new Filipino. Because we once were warriors, right? 
We had yeah. a renaissance. We I also like really. it's so important to be inclusive. That that's still kind of lacking in our society. I mean, Marga, Marga pointed it out by saying that you know you go to Mindanao, you can give two shits about ads. Uh, they, it's, it's just so you know mm-hmm. outside of their existence, and, and yeah. it's also true to a certain extent. And that kind of also accounts for the popularity of the territory, right? The whole imperialism, Manila. Uh, so know, interesting, you know, actually, when I, when I talked about the class stratification and how Eds have felt so unified, to me, that was also the very first time. Parang to me, that could have been a jumping off point for precisely that, Pampina. Yeah. Because that yeah. happened because we felt that the injustices across the board, poor mm. and dying and starving and yeah, shot yeah. and tortured and all that, was unacceptable. Every feel the the famine of every yeah, Filipino, the, the hurting of any Filipino, we felt that was enough. And I think that could have been a really powerful jumping off point for bringing in our Muslim brothers and sisters and others, um, all the other parts of the Philippines. Yeah. That could have been our moment. Parang ride the high of the unity of Elsa. You know what I mean? It could have spread for sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, yeah, there's a lot of bemoaning. <laughs> A lot of sayang naman and a lot of anger at the missed opportunities and the injustice that's happened since then. But I do like this idea of, but we can relate to that energy. But as Pinoys, we can relate to that energy. And yeah. we can bring it. So yeah, there, that's also true what Luis was saying about being non-confrontational and refusing to have those kinds of this. I mean, I guess in a way that's what we're trying to do, but I was going to say, that's why we're here. Yeah. That's why we're here. But remember when the anti-terror bill, you know, came out and all these things. Vividly. And I was looking at the people who signed it, people that I knew, you know, even ABS-CBN congressmen and senators, either I knew them or I knew their spouses and everything. And, and I actually went to one of them and said, why, why did your husband sign this? And and then she, of course, had a whole prepared answer and everything. And I just said, I actually read it and I find this very problematic. This, You know, I mean, where could I take it from there? It's not going to change your husband's vote, right? But at least, you know, at least make your, make your, make your issues known, right? Your reservations known. And I remember asking my sister, I said, don't you ever talk about it with your friends? Because certain friends are married or either in, in Congress or married congressman or senator and she said she made a she made a, a rule a long time ago never to discuss politics or else there would be no friendship so that's what i was saying as well that we're not ready to have those uncomfortable i mean a lot of us still not ready to have those uncomfortable um, conversations we don't want to rock the boat we don't want to destroy family relationships and all that and I don't know. I mean, I, I guess some think, things are worth fighting for, right? But I do think, again, and I'm sounding like a broken record here, and I get it, but I do think that regulating and broadcasting standards for the news can help hmm. there because I think part of the problem is that it has become when we decide to have these difficult conversations, people end up quoting lies, demonstrable, hmm. yeah. provable. Yeah. Lies, and they're not called but they brought into it so much. There's no push. And, and that to me does not make for a healthy debate about these difficult yeah. issues. That agree, to me is agree, not what the media yeah. is talking about, right? Like if I am talking about something and you're insisting that the earth is flat, 
there's not a lot of places that we can go. So I do think, yeah, true, yeah. or at least facts have to be protected, right? If we're going to try to have these conversations, for sure. Um, yeah, but if you also yeah. muzzle the media, how do you, you know? Not muzzle the media. <laughs> I'm saying just make sure that we have, again, trusted sources that have to pass a certain level of verification in order to spread news, right? Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Not edit, but not regulate what the content is. But regulate the purveyors. No, not regulating the content. If you're cu cutting off those purveyors, you're you're not renewing their franchises. You're you're giving their air. You know, that's that's awesome. And, and also, we don't have any regulation because right? anyone can post whatever and say it's news. Anyway, anyway, yeah. To me, this was an incredible, an incredible chat with really amazing people who clearly live on this stuff. Like this is what they do professionally. <laughs> They've given it a lot of thought and, you know, I'm really, really, I don't know. I feel renewed. I was coming from a fairly down place and including about EDSA. And to me, it was such a special moment as a Filipino. Super empowering. Very well, ladies. So until we meet again. Until we meet again. Everybody, thank you for listening. Yeah, definitely let us know. Write to us. Uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, for sure. And let us know if there's any other topics that you, you know, want to talk about. We'd love to delve into everything. So thank you everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time. Well, we won't. We'll share stories with you next time. We'll flip the narrative with you next time. <laughs>